0: My name is Andre. I'm a first time startupper and a student at Business Academy.
1: Hi, my name is Jenny and I'm a business student studying marketing and sales. Welcome to the Flybird podcast where we explore ways that you can upgrade yourself. How to find balance in life and business? Why and how should you have meaning in your actions? How a system can make you perform as efficiently as possible? In today's episode, you will hear thoughts and tips from Heikki Monen. Heikki has been a coach in Draft Programme and he's currently a lecturer in entrepreneurship. Heikki is deeply interested in time management, entrepreneurship, creativity, work-life balance and utilizing mindfulness. Stay tuned to Get Filled Up. Hey everybody and welcome to the Fly For It podcast. Today we're going to talk again about very interesting things. And we have a really nice guest today. Uh, welcome, welcome, Heikki, to the podcast.
2: Thank you for having me. It's nice to be part of your podcast.
1: <laughs> Thank you. So me and Andre are interested about a lot of things. Uh, we have a very interesting topic today. But before we really go into it, could you uh, shortly... Uh, tell about yourself, so what is your background? What have you done or what are your education? Like, who are you and what do you do, heck
2: Thank you. Um, hmm. Well, I'm going to be 42 this year. So uh, uh, I've had already time to do things. Um, first of all, uh, I'm married with two kids. Uh, older, oldest will be 13 this spring, and uh, the younger one, Alisa, is going to be 10. And uh, that has been defining a, lo- a lot of me in the past 10 years. So that, that that's important. Uh, also, my day-to-day work is, I work at Karelia University of Applied Sciences. My job involves uh, working with entrepreneurs, startup companies, Uh I do product development stuff, teaching at Karelia, and so on. Um, What else? Mm, From the entrepreneurial side, I think I I registered my first company with my friends in 1999. We were 19. Uh, We were just going to start uh, university, uh, university education. It was kind of a, hey, let's register a company. We don't know what we are going to do (laughs) with with that, but it's cool. And uh, mm, the two gigs we did, I had the least involvement in those. So one of of us, uh, Tuomas, uh, he still is. He's a professional jazz pianist. So our company uh, rented him. For the Joensuu Physics Department's uh, Picquiole, this little mm. Christmas party. Interesting. <laughs> yes, and then uh, uh, another of my partners, Petri, he ended up he was in charge of that. Ended up doing a Excel-based uh, sort of a program uh, for a local biathlon coach. Mm. How to you know c- control all the data when you're biathlon coach that the athletes. And so on. So you
0: say that Excel-based. So you mean that? Yeah, yeah, was he, yeah. The he, formula he, in Excel. Yeah, correct.
2: yeah. He used those things. Uh, so it was not really an independent program, but really using the Excel to most of having a little bit of Boolean, you know, if-then things there. And yeah, well, that,
0: but that reminds me of uh, today's low-code, no-code, when they use, you know, different tools that help you build stuff but without, like, actual yeah. building.
2: Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, uh, I I, I like also that that type of philosophy a lot. Um, but then, um, so I've, I've never been a full-time entrepreneur. I've always been a, a part-time. There's been periods that uh, there's been no revenue at all for several years, but then every now and then there are Small projects, and uh, for for example, I've earned some revenue as a mindfulness coach. I've I've done uh, game development in board games, and then educational uh, uh, digital uh, sort of a creative storytelling game development stuff. Uh, also, a little bit of sort of software design consultancy and. Uh, And so on. And uh, now, after I finished my PhD year ago, now I'm again have time to think a little bit more entrepreneurship. And uh, we hope to publish actually a book uh, later this year. And uh, way before that, um, so my my education, university of education. I'm a physicist. that's the original degree I did, and then as a, as a sort of a adult, uh, on the side of my job, I I did my PhD from industrial management. So that was a shift from the uh, natural sciences to this kind of management science. Mm. But it, it was that was purely purely based on the passion mm. and uh, what really interests me. So. I was happy to do that shift. Yeah.
0: Interesting. You did a lot of things, and I like, if, uh, physics, entrepreneurship, then uh, the game development. Uh, You're also uh, like this draft program, which is like and coaching and teaching. It's interesting. Mm.
1: Yeah, like like what I've been looking at your like background, but like based on this LinkedIn research, like you have a lot of uh, experience, like in entrepreneurship innovation, project management, collaborative working, development, mindfulness, metacognitive skills, Taekwondo, mathematics. And this kind of led me to seeing you, like, giving me impression that you're kind of, like, uh, very maybe analytical, rational processes interested person, but also you might be interested in, like you said, in management, about, like, human behaviors, how our mind works and mm. so on. So, like, are those things important to you, like...
2: Yes, and can I add to the ta- taekwondo thing? So I think in my LinkedIn profile it says uh, that I was an English teacher uh, in the international taekwondo academy. So w- during my studies in 2004-2005, um, I was an exchange student in South Korea, partly because I had done uh, for many years a Korean martial art called Hanmudo. and. Uh, then when I went to uh, Korea, I did some Taekwondo there, and uh, during one weekend I visited the the World Taekwondo headquarters, and there came this uh, one Korean middle level master like, "Hey, who are you? Where are you from?" And yes, I'm Heikki from Finland. And uh, then he actually, what happened was that he invited me to. So every, what happened after that, that every Sunday, every morning, uh, one local Taekwondo master took me and we drove together one and a half hours to these mountains, where was the, the how do you call it, gym uh, of, of the most uh, well-respected, like old st- school, old style Taekwondo master.
1: Ah, uh, Dojo. Mean, yeah, yeah, right. Dojo.
2: Yeah. Or in Korean, I think it's Dojang. And uh, the, then uh, this this master, uh, in his youth, he had uh, served uh, alongside with the U.S. forces in the, uh, in the Vietnam War. And he had this background. And uh, after the decades passed, he has changed his philosophy a lot. But one of his philosophies was that it's very important for the Korean Taekwondo people to be international. And his idea was that let's invite this foreign-looking guy to (laughs) train and teach English. As you can hear, my English is not perfect, far from it. So I went there, and for one hour in the morning, there were these really high-level Taekwondo coaches and masters like, uh, for example, uh, head coaches of national teams. They've come to study with this great grandmaster, and I was teaching them English for one hour, and then I could Train, train with them, so that was the story of how the Taekwondo thing is in the, in the LinkedIn. Mm. But it, it was cool because doing that, you could avoid the normal when you are an exchange student. You very easily hang around just with other exchange students mm. and do that partying and, and that stuff only, so that was a good, good opportunity.
0: But how, how, yeah. did, how did you get into Taekwondo?
2: Yes, uh, so it mostly actually happened just during that uh, uh, that my exchange study year. But my own martial art, what I did, was Hanmudo, which uh, is a bit different from Taekwondo. What I did here in uh, here in Joensuu. So, and the story of that in 1997, actually the founder of that martial art came to start a new class here in uh, Joensuu. Actually, where we are now recording this, uh, we did not yet have the Yonsu Science Park, but there was this old school building, and the first training sessions happened there. So he visited mm. Yonsu once a week, and I had done uh, some Japanese martial arts before that, so there was like this real master coming to Yonsu. Cool, I must join that. And then I started doing that that martial art. Mm.
1: That is a really cool thing, because um, as a martial Martial arts practitioners here, like a person who does martial arts. Mm. Uh, I think that in those like things, um, you need to have some sense of you know control of your own thoughts, how you approach things to learn the the martial arts and so on. And that is kind of related to today's topics. So systemizing balance in life and business, and hey, why not in martial arts mm. as well? Um, so today we probably want to know, uh, about how meaningfulness improves effectiveness mm-hmm. and how you could build a powerful workflow. Um, do you want to start off like how and when did you start caring about having a balance between your life and in business and what does it actually mean to you?
2: Okay, excellent <laughs> and uh, quite comprehensive question. First of all, I, I need to really highlight that all this kind of uh, being systematic and focused and all of all of that is learned. Uh, so w- where I come from, I come from uh, being impulsive, uh, being interested in uh, s- sort of a, uh, I've been a very non-engineer-minded person in my youth. So uh, I did a, lo- a lot of... Uh, handcrafts, arts, those types of things. For a long time, I had this kind of a, uh, there was part of me that was interested in physics, you know, Albert Einstein, that kind of fundamental things, but then also parapsychology. And I remember when I was in the military service uh, as a 19-year-old, I was (laughs) collecting ghost stories from uh, my my fellow conscripts. Uh, so, for a long time there were these two worlds, and um, I remember, you know, in elementary school, this kind of impulsiveness. I remember every after summer holiday, I had this this promise to myself that now this year I will do homework after school. Now and it always lasted for two weeks, and then I I lost control and I couldn't do homework, but. I've always been a good uh sort of a listener so when there's a lecture I can uh I can catch a lot of from from there and then you know high school I managed to get through by doing the homework just before <laughs> yeah you, you know mm-hmm. th- that, that thing and uh and so on so but you know then uh when you start to have For me, full-time work, and then when you start to have children, then you start really running out of time and energy and things. So I remember it was maybe 2012, and our second child had just been born. And I was doing full-time work at Karelia, and I had started to do the teacher studies at the university. And it, it was not, you know, when you are... Uh, at University of Applied Sciences, you can do the teacher studies as, how to say, sort of adult education format when it's only part-time. But I I started to do teacher studies with uh, people who had uh, just uh, came from high school. So suddenly I had this huge problem of how to manage time. And up to, uh, until that point, I had had this kind of a, Yeah, work, do extra hours, like doing less than 10 hours a day was, from my point of view, shameful. But I remember on that fall, uh, I was at home, and uh, I had been always doing also, for example, email and that stuff in the evening. I have now this second child born. Uh, Do I want to live like this? That uh, Now it should be the evening time like this, and I'm not with the family. So then I decided... I remember how our living room was then. Maybe I was making the decision in that room. But I said, no, I will not. And then I I started to be very conscious about, okay, in my pay job, they pay me for these hours. So I I started to be very sharp that I do those hours, but I try to do them as effectively as possible. Uh, And not like... Push it from okay. I'd, I add hours if I don't get the job done. So, and of course, you know, uh, this type of thinking that if I improve my effectiveness little by little by little, it's like this interest rate it grows and grows and grows. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it was maybe 10 years ago. I, uh, and I had already started, you know, doing time management stuff and things like that, but. Yeah, it sort of a uh, being close to bur- burnout. I never, I've never burned out, but, but uh, I always experienced that after summer vacation, good energy. When it goes close to Christmas, you have agreed to do so many things. So many things you start to feel like uh, uh, that you are trapped, and so on so. Learning, sort of a uh, pain made me learn and at the same time being wanting to be with family and uh, kids and
0: mm. yeah <clears throat> yes so the work- the work life balance is is really interesting question as i think really when you start having kids and you have wife then it really is a question before that you have you are free to work like as many hours as you can but then when you start have a family then it's it's a challenge
2: and can I and and can I say here? And it's really a choice because um, before having kids, uh, I worked with several sort of a. I had the good fortune of working with some people who are very entrepreneurial and creative and productive, and I think they had failed in making the de- decision because uh, they lived in situations where. Uh, they did not have good relationships with their kids. And uh and like you could say that from the business side, they were successful, but on the other side, not so. And I decided that I don't want to be like that. Uh, uh,
0: a few episodes ago, I we were also discussing <clears throat> the work-life balance and balance. Uh, actually, the, the, the topic was being present. We talked with Andy Garden. And during this episode, we also talked about balance, and I brought this kind of balance wheel of life, if you're familiar with that. This is just a wheel divided into sectors that uh, symbolize uh, different aspects, aspects of your life. There's mm-hmm. like career, family, hobbies, and stuff. And <clears throat> I was making a point that in order to have kind of extraordinary results, your wheel cannot be balanced. So an uh, uh, example can be an Olympic athlete, for example. I don't know, uh, like, what is the statistics, but I believe that their life is not balanced. It's of course it's dominated by sports, and if you actually want to be extraordinary in uh, in some field like business or whatever sports, mm. then I somehow feel and think that you're not like it's it's. I don't know. I don't. I cannot imagine that you have a balanced life with family and hobbies and stuff. What is your opinion on that?
2: Well, um, I think that that type of balanced. Um, there's one element to think about that is that it's some kind of average. So you could have a 50-50 business and family life balance, even though you are uh, half a year just doing business mm. and then half a year just doing family. Uh, and then on the year basis, it's 50-50. And that might actually work for some people. Why not? Uh, you, you'll get very intensive Work life very intensive, uh, family life. The problem comes, uh, and it's so it's so person dependent. But uh, I think you can still have um, intensity, even though uh, you don't have to sacrifice sacrifice necessarily the sort of the, the family life.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah, for example. Uh, Next week, so we are recording this at the end of April. So next week, which is the first uh, week of May, uh, for the first time, I'm uh, having one week holiday uh, because I'm trying to now direct my life so that I'm more and more involved in kind of a uh, sort of gardening and older ways to live. So. Uh, instead of trying to do, for example, garden work and uh, this small-scale agricultural things and things like that, like every evening after work, it's much more natural and intensive to be out of work for one week and do Mm. a lot of stuff during one week. And uh, you kind of get then that cool intensity using that. Yeah, Yeah. I was just
0: uh, thinking that In order to maybe get that the most out of that moment, Mm. you really have to be present at the moment. And like, uh, well, when I was researching for that episode and I started uh, watching videos about mindfulness, Mm. I was really like, "All right, that's that sounds interesting." I also kind of linked that to focusing, Mm -hmm. like you're focusing and you're getting out of the moment the most. But and I was. Like, can you ex- like say what is mindfulness for you, and how do you like implement it in your life? Because you said that you're a mindfulness coach, it's really interesting to, to
2: hear. Yes, yes. So my story in uh, mindfulness. So as a teenager during the '90s, I was maybe my my uh, older relatives were into all types of New Age stuff, and uh, I was into that. And I I was do doing a how do you call it? these kinds of uh, alternative learning those things a lot and and of course the martial part of me, I started doing martial art was interest in this oriental um, um, or uh, Japanese, Korean uh, mythology and mysticism and and that Mm -hmm. stuff and then um, in my 20s that kind of faded out I became a physicist and you know started, started to develop a healthy skepticism Mm. Actually, mindfulness is sort of related to skepticism Mm. in a strange way. But anyways, then uh, after graduating and uh, starting doing uh, the work, and then I started, I got into this innovation, product development, all this, which has not been part of my studies. And I started to find out cool, interesting stuff that interests me. And uh, I noticed other physicists much smarter than me who had started doing like systems research and entrepreneurship stuff and ah oh, cool this is this is nice and then uh, for some reason I pumped into this mindfulness research and I thought wow so th- th- this actually the meditation there are some real r- there's real things and scientists can so <laughs> <laughs> I, I started uh, learning the Massachusetts medical school of uh, the official uh, mindfulness based stress reduction program, I did not go to the U.S. and take the course. I I ordered official CDs Mm -hmm. and started doing those programs. And because I had uh, been been teaching, coaching martial arts also for a long time, so I'd experienced, I I decided, because the mindfulness thing started to work with me, I decided, okay, I can also start teaching this. This is not very difficult. Okay, so mindfulness for me, what it means... Mm. So, you can think that w- roughly we have two modes of thinking. One of them is that you are thinking some thoughts. For example, you are planning uh, what you are going to do t- tomorrow, or uh, you're thinking about program, you're planning for the podcast, uh, whatever. So, you are kind of in your mind's theater, focused on that. And th- then the other one is being present. So, there's less of that. Mm-hmm. Or at least you are not attached to it so much, but there is more more this sense of much more of the stimuli. And uh, I remember when I started doing one hour a day, the official program, after a few weeks, I remember we were uh, going to Prisma with my wife. Uh, uh, We drove the car uh, to the Prisma's garage, and uh, I remember like this... uh, this presence really kicking in. Mm. Okay, I'm now pushing this trolley. And that was one of the few moments that I realized that, hey, for years and years and maybe decades, I have been just a thinking addict, just in my own. But it was really cool in that Prisma's garage to feel, you know, more present. Mm. Just sort of a first times you could feel that you are. I'm not so... Attached to this, just this thinking train.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, it's like sort of thing like if you watch a movie, there's a scene happening. Maybe you have seen it so many times, but Mm. at one point you just realize like if you pay attention, you see all the nice details you like, you, you get like. How do you say, not drown in it, but you you, you remember how, uh, when you were in that moment, what you heard, what feelings were you going through, wh- what kind of smells did you like now mm, realize that yeah. you might not have noticed before? And it's like kind of makes it more vivid, the memory of it, when you finally you are more present than instead of like you said, you just go and do that yeah. versus that.
2: Yes. And, um, to be honest, I think focus is not the best word, because focus, for me, that it feels like there's, there's some tension, mm. force, but mindfulness, when some experience, okay, now I'm really mindful, there's always a sense of relaxation. Yeah.
0: I, I, when, I was, when I was watching the videos, I liked the um, word acceptance in the way that you are accepting what's happening with you right now. You're like, all right. And uh, also, the thing that was inter- interesting for me is that how do you can use that uh, like methodology to deal with your emotions, especially when you have bad emotions and you kind of accept that, the fact that, all right, now I'm feeling bad. I'm like, or I'm, I'm feeling scared. But then you kind of choose how are you going to react to that? So you, you feel that way, you accept that, but then you like... You decide yourself I, how I'm going to deal with it. How I'm going to act. Is that true? By the way.
2: Yes. Uh, so, if I can add, um, in a way, you accept your reaction, and uh, then by accepting it, you don't have to follow the reaction, mm, and then yeah, you yeah. then then you can do it. So, um, I I think the. The mindfulness as a philosophy and also as that you really grasp it is also very valuable for entrepreneurs Mm. because Mm. entrepreneurs tend to struggle, especially new entrepreneurs, with this problem of creating these illusions for how things go. And if you've done mindfulness practice, you've developed this muscle that you can more... have more distance to your thoughts, you believe your thoughts less, and it's easier to accept that, okay, things might turn out different. Uh, I remember <laughs> the, the, uh, the first time I had this really this metacognitive insight that, okay, I'm feeling rushed, there is this good idea, and uh, maybe now should, should I wait for a few nights? And uh, then see, does it still feel great? So, like I said, uh, as a y- younger person, and still, of course, uh, I was impulsive. I-, I had a lot of g- great ideas. Uh, that was a bit uh, s- s- sarcastic. <laughs> Anyways, and I got really excited and rushed, and uh, uh, I need to do something about this idea. But yeah, I was maybe 24 I remember that night <clears throat> I was having trouble to sleep because I was having this great idea. And for some reason they came this thought, hey, let's sleep over it a couple of mm. nights. And uh, So in a way, I think naturally all people develop this mindfulness capability. So I think if, if we take some 70-year-old, 80-year-old, by nature they are more mindful than young people because... They have experienced failures and uh, repeatedly in their lives, like they thought of something, then it didn't happen. Mm. I think if you systematically practice mindfulness, you can maybe fast forward that a bit. All right. Yeah.
1: It's how it's so interesting. Like um, we both had like this impression that you have always been this, um, maybe like okay, maybe I'm just talking only on my behalf, but this impression that you are you have always been, let's say, analytical, calm, and that some <laughs> kind of thing. And it's so funny to hear that it's actually like it's the opposite. That you have come from like very impulsive backgrounds, and you have learned from the pain, like you said yeah. yourself, um, like previously, like. When you're impulsive about things, you kind of get lot of lots of stress, and I think that was kind of interesting, like how mindfulness is kind of I think a tool for like uh, handling a stress. Like um, for Andre, if you learn to accept things, then you just let the feelings go. That's kind of you don't over, get over stress from it. Like I see in Andre, Andre is really not always stressing about things sometimes, and I think that's a good way. and it's the same kind of philosophy I think applies in like Taekwondo too. Like there's this funny thing like
2: Do you do Taekwondo at your sport? <laughs> yes, I've just okay. started
1: and you probably yeah. know what I mean by but in Taekwondo when you want to have like be effective with your strike, whatever mm. you want to be, there's a pattern. You focus, you relax. It's you know, the wave pulse motion, whatever. Like mm. you relax. So you're not tight enough, like it's not yeah. too tense. And then you strike. Mm. And that's like, you have to have self of relaxation, calmness to be more powerful, effective, I would say. And that's like very cool, like how that has shown from your path of life from the start and in <laughs> Taekwondo as well.
2: Yeah, uh, I think that Taekwondo and this kind of, uh, so in my, the, the master always uh, he, for example, communicated with the the feeling of this uh, this sort of from the relaxed position. He always used some hand, like uh, you know, this kind of a. Uh, if you want to hold a, a butterfly inside your fist, for example, mm. so if you squeeze, it dies. Mm. If it's just like, uh, if 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 it's not focused, the butterfly will disappear. But it's like relaxed control. And mm-hmm. from there, the speed comes. And uh, yesterday, uh, I was watching NBA games, uh, basketball. And uh, so I started to play basketball four years ago. I had not not done that at all. And uh, th- then ever since, I, I, I've watched a, a lot of games. And, you know, it's so nice to observe these super athletes... Uh, you would, And they are fast and you would think that they are s- somehow rushed. But the, the best ones really just are so excellent because they all the time do their things from the point of relaxation. So mm. they, they uh, dribble the ball and only uh, they try to <clears throat> do the basket from the point where they can actually do it uh, with relaxed body and technique. Because... If they try to force it, uh, the, the the probability of uh, getting a basket drops. So yeah, it was yeah. I was I remember consciously thinking about ah, this is like r- r- remember thinking to my martial arts background, like ah, th- this is what the master is talking like mm. from from he always said from from the mm. <laughs> Finnish softness. word yeah softness.
0: I, when I was uh, also the, the watching the videos and reading about mindfulness, I, I also thought that well, that's really helpful for entrepreneurs mm-hmm. because that can help you make more like much uh, better decisions. Uh, I mean, uh, actually, that's true for me. When I said that uh, being like kind of over positive about your your ideas, I'm like that. I'm definitely like that because I when, uh, whenever I get an idea, I'm like Pfft, that will totally work. That's like best idea ever. But then. Uh, when it doesn't work, and I'm like, oh, that doesn't work. And I also uh, over or underestimate the amount of time that some ideas will take to, to, uh, to do, to realize. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of, uh, I'm too much trusting myself and these kind of first intentions, mm. first ideas. Uh,
2: there's a different, there's this different uh, emotion and interest when you have this narrow interest, like, "Oh, this is like, and that was what I used to have as a younger but but then there's also the deeper type of interest, which is not so much uh, excitement, but it, it feels it feels more grounded mm. interest. And when you have that uh, that that uh, you can trust a bit more because right. uh, because then it's it's more broadly based on your whole experience, not like narrow. Mm. Thing.
1: Yeah, I think I get what you mean. Like cash flow, <laughs> if, if I put it mm. in the money way. Like if you're dependent on only one type of income, and that kind of at some point get you know kick, kicked out, you will be you know devastated. Mm. Um, if your values are only on one thing, and that is taken away from you, what does that do? Th- do to your mentality? But if there are sources of happiness, things that bring meaning to you, bring that pr- things that bring you, you know, that kind of feelings of safety, if you have loads of those kind of things from your life. I think even taking one of those things, it doesn't shake you. Like, you ground yourself very powerfully mm-hmm. on life, not just on one thing, and I think that makes you more calm as well. Mm-hmm. If I... <laughs> if I can take that philosophy and understand Or what do you think, Heik?
2: I think um, the the work and other aspects, they start to become somehow, uh, you you start seeing really the interconnectedness. Like, uh, okay, if I fail at my work, it will, uh, my family life will start to struggle. And not, not just like, okay, then I will feel bad and I'm not so good husband or... Father, or like it's not like that, but really, like, okay, uh, what kind of money can we have money to buy food? It, it's really practical stuff, mm-hmm. L- like, uh, and the meaning comes f- for me first. It comes somehow. There's always the really the practical connection between things, and uh, not some external. Okay, this is now how I value, but. It's always grounded in in practicalities. Can I comment on the the stress and, and mindfulness? So, um, if you train mindfulness or something like that, and the typical exercise is <clears throat> in mindfulness is that uh, what they do, how they train that muscle. The classic breathing exercise is that you you put your focus on the breathing and. Of course, what happens, that's the thing what mind does. There's some other thought. It's drifted away from there. The, the, really, I think the neurons cannot put keep the focus in any one point. It's not possible because the, neuro, uh, the neurons run really out of energy, the metabolic energy, and then they release and like that. But anyway, so when, when your attention drifts, then you, you notice it and you bring it back. And you repeat this. And then your you develop muscle, and the the mind starts to do that more easily and automatically, and like that. And uh, when for one year, when I was teaching the mindfulness stuff, I preferred to use uh, that practice, not necessarily the classic breathing, because it's quite difficult. Uh, I preferred this type of that you take some yoga posture. And you keep, for example, your leg somehow and you start feeling the burn in the muscle. And then it's actually easy because it's easier to keep your attention in the the muscle burn and pain. Uh, And maybe it also becomes clearer. Okay, now my mind shifted and it's easier to bring it back. Mm. So I I like to use those types of uh, to keep the pain point as as this kind of a. Yes, so um, if you, let's say, negative emotions and things like that, so if you have developed a bit further the mindfulness muscle, maybe you're at home, there's your couch, sofa, you're there, You. there's these negative thoughts, maybe anxiety, depression, like that. And then if you're lucky, uh, you notice, know okay, I'm thinking like this. And maybe that leads you notice, okay, there's the wall, the wallpaper, there's the television screen, the curtains. At the same time, you are, of course, feeling the negative emotion. But simply that, that there is this space between the negative emotion and, okay, I'm here in this room, and there's nothing really uh, threatening. Mm. And uh, simply that attention... Alleviates the negative emotion. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: how do you think that or these kind of practices related to uh, feeling happy? Because, uh, because I see clear connections. Well, actually, I, w- what I was doing, I think it's kind of similar to that, but I didn't call that mindfulness. But, but I strongly believe that feeling happy is feeling okay. So it means you're not too excited and you're not uh, like get too worried about things but you, you're just fine and my way also is, it was like that so I didn't get too excited uh, when uh, even when like super crazy things happen and I kind of uh, probably has to be, have to be excited but then I wasn't because I was kind of controlling my emotions I was like alright mm, yeah cool so h- how do you think it's related to happiness uh, one more thing I add mm. before you, ask, uh, if you answer is that in one book I was actually a really interesting find for me like the thing that made me think uh, was that People, I didn't quite remember the actual wording, but it was like people get uh, happy then successful because I think, and I was believing that way too. Then, uh, all right, now when I get more successful, it can be like uh, financially or when my projects uh, evolve, and I get some kind of actual results in my projects. Then I will be happy. But then that book, actually, that book wasn't about happiness; it was about the Scrum, the framework, and. The point was that you get happy first, and then that helps you get more things
2: done and be more productive and stuff. Mm. So h- how do you think? Is there any connections? Do you see that? Definitely. In my family, we watch the fo- voice of Finland. Uh, and we, we are not musicians. We don't have that background. But, the, you know, this basic human intuition, you, from your ho- home, you can judge people. And in those kinds of singing competitions... There are those people who really want to be, from identity perspective, these cool, fancy musicians. Like uh, they dress like fancy, cool musicians. Uh, they uh, talk and they try somehow to imitate something, and it's not really working. And every now and then, in those competitions, you have these people who are in that. Tr- They do it from really some unique perspective. There's some weirdness, geekiness. They are not trying to be cool. Uh, They are somehow, there's maybe love in what they do. And they are not thinking about the identity thing nearly as much. And I think those people come, uh, they first have the so-called happiness, in their strange thing. And because of that, they are able to do maybe greater things and they feel real. than those who would like to be cool cool uh, musicians, and then it feels really plain. Uh, so I always cheer for those geeks and weirdos in those singing contests. And typically they do very well because they feel somehow authentic. And I think that saying that you first have to be happy and then it, it comes from that. Mm. So...
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. I, I imagine people that who, are, if you are trying to be cool, then there is some point where you like imagine yourself to be and then when I'm that cool, when I have that, I've that. but then if you already feel that, all right, I'm actually fine when right now and I'm chasing my thing, I'm like enjoying, I'm yeah. not chasing any kind of imaginary... Uh, kind of picture of me when
2: I get there on top but I'm just yeah. fine with and then I'm just doing yeah. that, my, my, my thing. Uh, and maybe if you are trying just to imitate then you are always just following a path but to do successfully you always have to step out of a path that's been followed and then you have to be attentive and uh, present and uh, like this. So it it sort of makes logical sense. Mm.
1: Mm. Yeah. It's... Kind of like what I got out from it, that you realize that happiness is more important, that it's like part of the process instead of destination, that if people are able to take that mindset that happiness just doesn't come as a destination, that Mm. if you get rich or if you're uh, the coolest singer, you will be happy. But if you're able to take the happiness like right now, it's like instant Um, you know that if your process sucks and you're not happy, then it probably destination as well is not happy. So if you're able to make your process that you're happy, authentic yourself, then the destination is probably happiness. And I think with happiness comes success. And one of the reason, reasons why I think it it's that way, that why people were attracted to, like you said, hey, these authentic people is that like, if you pretend to be somebody, you are not you. You are not your actions are not aligned with your own values what you do. And pretending also takes energy. Right? You have to like cover things that you naturally are. But if you work towards your natural instincts, then you save energy because you don't have to resist on against things that are unnatural to you. So then you have this massive energy source of energy when you're just being your authentic self using your happiness and all of that stuff.
2: But isn't it the cool paradox that hmm? when you are not trying to be something uh, and you are authentic, but then you are <laughs> what you're actually feeling that you are not feeling that you are I'm some specific. But you are actually in a position that it's very hard to define who who you are, and mm-hmm. I I think um, um, th- this feeling of authenticity it's uh, it's perhaps it's this kind of process like, and it, you also feel that it's hard to grasp what what I, uh, am I really? Mm.
1: Mm.
2: So it's uh, then you don't worry about identity and that type of stuff. Yeah. Because it's...
1: You don't try to compare yourself to yeah. somebody because you know that you are just yourself.
2: Yeah. And then, then who am I? <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you are, it's, it's uh, mm, more like that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and also, like, imagine if you try to pretend that you're somebody, then it's also, like, stressing that, you know, that you're just a cheater. Like, I'm not, like, mm. just f- acknowledging things like that also, I think, stresses... Many people. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But yeah, all of those things definitely improve, like probably effectiveness. Like when you're able to be more mindful, you stress less, maybe you can be more authentic. But you said um, everything is learned in your life. You mm-hmm. came from an impulsive background. Um, has there like, you know, been Ways that you design yourself to be more effective, like let's say, have you had some kind of things to make have this powerful workflows or so on?
2: Mm-hmm. First of all, I need to say that it's good to have both. It's good good to have that that uh, impulsive uh, thing as a driver, and then it's good to have uh, the uh, also the more systematic and. In ideal case, you are able to have both of these things going on. Um, How mindfulness is linked to all this is that uh, uh, it gives you... Well, if I don't use the word mindfulness. If you are patient and you give yourself time to think, consider like uh, many things in your life... Uh, then you, of course, you make better decisions uh, when you are able to take into account the the bigger picture, because then the little thing you do, it's better fitted, not just uh, at the small scale, but also at the bigger scale. So that's why patience is is so good. good. And how that happens in practice, so for example, what I do and I know many, many, many people do that once a week for me it's Sunday morning I uh, I do a plan for next week uh, and that's I'm removed from the normal day work there's been a couple of nights and then I can I can see the a bit bigger mm. picture uh, and it's easy to do the next week sort of plan the plan is of course it's, it's I have this maybe relaxed plan but anyways I, I can see the bigger picture and then i know that the things i do for example on on monday morning are i'm okay to do it because it, it's in balance with the bigger things also
0: that's really interesting perspective i didn't think, didn't think about that like because when you planning your your uh, week and sunday you're actually out of your Kind of hot, out of rush. You don't. You don't have to like. I don't have to do it right now. You can actually able to calmly think like what the things are like important for yeah. next
2: week. Yeah, and I think that that's a really really old thing. It uh, you know uh, in Christianity there's the the service on Sunday, and I think traditionally that that has been a place where people have thought of bigger things and congregated mm. and. Uh, Mm, also, also, pre-Christian and non-Christian traditions, there's been always this... Uh, the week has been an important mm. as, aspect. And that's uh, sort of the, the, the last day of or the Sunday, it's like the top of the week. Like You can think of it like a mountain or hill. Mm. It's the top. And from there, you can see further. And when you can see further, you can plan. And when you are uh, again down... You know a bit how to how to navigate.
0: Mountain metaphor is good.
2: Mm. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, and now it also comes to an interesting thing because what you're describing for me, as I would call that, is uh, systematic thinking. As you think of uh, like things as, as systems, you're not thinking about necessarily, or of course you take into account them, but you also trying to think like how those elements of a system interact with each other. Uh, that, uh, what I mean by that is like the, f- the first interesting thing is that uh, as we can see, uh, family and career are a part of your life. If your life is a system, then your family and career, they're part of that mm-hmm. and they interact. Mm-hmm. And I one one day you, you made an interesting point that uh, the family gives you context. If you are just focusing on your one thing, mm-hmm. one element is career and you are not thinking outside of your career, then your decisions, the quality of your decisions are not so good because you don't take into account other aspects of like your and others' life, which is family and uh, the content coming from that. But also, that kind of systematic thinking, what I mean by that is that you're able to see much bigger things and you see those interactions. I give a slightly different example uh, here, like Greenpeace. Mm -hmm. uh, That's a good example for me about systematic thinking because when you take Greenpeace, and thinking about just uh, it's as an organization, and, pr- and then you think, all right, they are solving these kind of ecological problems. Uh, and you see that as, as, as an element, Greenpeace. But then when you start thinking systematically, meaning that you try, try to think what kind of other elements interact with that organization, and you start realizing that, all right, they are trying to solve these kind of ecological problems. But then... What if there is, was no ecological problems? Then Greenpeace would not exist because there is no problem to solve. Mm. And you started thinking, all right, Greenpeace is actually in, like kind of they're interested in having those ecological problems because they then they have enemy to fight with.
2: Yeah, they have a purpose. Yeah, because
0: mm. otherwise they would. Like, mm. And mm. They were, if there is ecological problems, they would uh, get funding and all those yeah, things. There so, is that. Mm. And that's what I mean by also systematic thinking, that you're able to see those elements, all right, there's green piece, but there are also problems uh, uh, that are solving. And there is no problems, there is no green piece. You, and that's what you're, like you said, you use that metaphor of uh, mountain. And you see those things as elements and then you're able to connect them. Hmm. And that's that's what it, what is the power of that. And again, coming back to the entrepreneurial thinking, I really think is, is really important for entrepreneurs also to try to think that way because then you can connect elements, you can see the connections between them.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, like, have you had this kind of, um, like maybe use any tools or like thought, ways of thinking like in your life, like when you see maybe relations between some kind of objects and processes, Mm. like do you apply this kind of philosophy in your life? Do you see your life as a system that when you see all those, all the tiny details, it's Is it easier to maneuver change and, you know, control your life when you see things like a system? Or do you see it?
2: Um, Yes, I, yeah, I I think I behave like that I see as a system. Um, What, yeah, and especially if a system that is also, it's basically the other side of, of a process, so system, process, so things that happen. And what, what, Andre, you said, that the family and career are part of life, but also you can think that your life is part of a family system mm. and your life is part yeah. of a whatever organization. And then it's really somehow that those systems which you are only part of, uh, th- they uh, interact and interconnect through you, and mm-hmm. that's uh, that's really uh, so. That's an Im- like uh, an important shift, and there's so much. I should learn more about that. Is not just see things from your own through your own lens, but see that okay, I'm part of a family unit, and. Uh, or I'm part of an organization, and Mm. so on. By the way, if you want to have a fancy, one fancy thought about what complexity scientists, when they discuss systems. So one important thing is scale. And scale means uh, you can have a physical proxy for scale. So uh, physical size is one proxy for scale, meaning that, uh, let's say, we we are now... Sitting next to a table, and it's about two meters times two meters, and there's uh, roughly ten objects on this table. So the scale, two meters, it has this amount of. But if we enlarge the scale to two hundred meters, there's much many more objects that can fit into that mm. system. And uh, and then th- there is this very interesting thing that scale and behavior are somehow uh, somehow linked, that it might be that th- the little interactions happening here on this table don't have much for, at the 200-meter scale. So what complexity scientists, they think like, uh, okay, do these small actions have also effects on the larger mm. scale? And Maybe we should think like that when we are th- thinking about uh, our daily lives also. Yeah. Time is also another scale thing, like in time management, like, okay, I have the scales can be what I will do in the 20 minutes, what I do next two hours, one day, one week, and so on. So, Mm.
1: Yeah, it was like seeing things in long term is that also like kind of seeing things as a scale. Like um, previously you said something about... um, like, uh, effectiveness is, like, compound interest. Like, even though, like, if you, let's say, in one week you improve your effectiveness, like, let's say, 1%, it's mm. not a lot. But if you think it for one year, if you keep it improving for, like, 1%, like, constantly, then you realize that in the scale it's going to be, like, I don't know, was it 37 point something yeah. percent of more effectiveness or something that... Mm. If you see, like, how your actions will look like and what kind of results they give you in larger scale. I think that's very valuable and that helps you to kind of stick to what you really want to do that even though you don't see results now, but if you know in larger scale they will, then you're more, I don't know, uh, committed to doing things that might be important Mm. to you.
2: Yeah, a good example of um, how small scale actions uh, result in large results is, for example, if you write a book or thesis, uh, it it can be you write one hour, and then you repeat that uh, what you wrote yesterday. It's connected to what you write today, and so on. And that's repeated across time, uh, across large scale. And only after that you have the result, mm. uh, the larger unit, the product, the thesis. Mm.
1: Have you actually done anything with this kind of philosophy? like have you done some kind of action or training okay, maybe mindfulness is mindfulness training is as well, or mm. something, but have you also other actions that you kind of use this philosophy?
2: Yes, so um, you know, in daily day work, normal project management is of course based on this type of idea that you have larger larger goals that you need to think how. Because finally everything is done always in small pieces. So you you have to think like how these small pieces Mm. happen and and like that. And for example, if we think of the improvement idea, then it's, um, for example, my time management system. That's been iterated for 10, 15 years. Uh, I'm doing tweaks, how to improve it. It's getting better uh, and so on um, you know, all, all riding projects, uh, sometimes you can have a physical, uh, for example, last summer with my family, we did this challenge of, uh, uh, our goal was to, in the end, that every one of us does 100 pull-ups and, uh, 200 push-ups every day. <laughs> And not as a one-go, but like the total volume. Yeah, that. during the day. Yeah, and we we started with one pull-up and uh, one push-up. Then the p- number of pull-ups you do per day uh, doubles every— uh, not, not doubles, but uh, increases one every second day, and the number of push-ups increases every day. And we caught until something 75 pull-ups per day— but then the volume started to be so big, it, we were like late in, in the evening, like everybody in the family was pressuring the other, ah, you have not <laughs> yet done, and ah, and, and doing. But it, it, it was very nice to, to do that as a family unit. So we were able to motivate ourselves better as a family unit mm. because you didn't want to get behind. Yeah. Uh,
0: about dividing things into smaller parts. Uh, I, I really like the, uh, I don't remember what I he- uh, I've i heard that uh, but that uh, w- when you have to uh, build a spaceship, mm. you don't build a spaceship. It's like, how do you build a spaceship? Like You don't build it as as one piece. Of course, you divide that into smaller pieces, mm-hmm. right? You have to have that, let's say, like the uh, thing, a kind of engine, then you divide engine into smaller parts, and eventually you just have, all right, that's the bolt, there is a nut, you have to connect them, mm-hmm. and that helps you. Uh, uh, about directing thesis, actually, uh, one one of the teachers suggested that you do that every day for some period of time, like for one hour. I tried to do that, failed mm. during the first week. <laughs> the thing is that uh, then I, I that's the book actually this the scrum that I mentioned uh, earlier. There was like because of that book, I've developed my productivity rule, which says that one day one project, and I try to work on one project during one day. So I don't I now I think that it's it's not productive at least for me if I do some one thing every day for a s- small period of time rather I would like to do that one project like the whole day because then I can say all right uh now I can focus I don't have to worry about anything else I just just like this one day uh, booked for that like big thing mm. sometimes I got into well I what I call uh like crazy scientist mode what? uh Last time it happened, actually, uh, two or one week ago when I had corona, and Mm. I had to to sit at home, and then I was like, all right, I have to sit at home, Uh, and then uh, I wanted to develop one website for one of the projects, and I got into that mode. What what I call that? Uh, Actually, uh, that's that's called by myself, like, crazy scientist mode after the parallel man, I think. Parallel man is the mathematician that solved the... What was the problem? He solved. I forgot. But, anyways, mm-hmm. as the story goes, that he went into some cabin in the forest and was doing that mathematical things for I don't know, like for for several months probably. Mm. So the, the point is that you're absolutely kind of uh, outside of of the world. You're just in that one thing, and you're just focusing on that. And I got into that mode. Uh, just last week when I was working on the website yeah. meaning that I could not think about anything else yeah. the messages the other projects I just I didn't work like to work, uh, about anything of, mm. of them and I really like that but mm. the problem here is that it's not quite sustainable you cannot do that like every every week Yeah. so but uh, that's kind of a challenge for me because I, I feel good when I'm in that mode and I feel bad when I'm trying to do those small things it's much much harder for me to do that mm.
2: I want to comment on that, if it's okay. Sure, Um, that's why you're (laughs) here. Yeah, the good thing, let's say that... um, Let's compare these two strategies. The one that you do 10 hours once a week, one day fully, and the other one is where you do two hours every day. The problem with the one once a week, one one day, is that uh, it's much riskier uh, if something happens during that day uh, then you lose mm. for some reason and then you lose so many hours of work. So in the other option you can have uh, you can lose one two hour session and you still produce eight hours. So when you describe that mm-hmm. uh, that person who went to the gabi- cabin, that's really the secret. So wh- when you really realize that doing let's say two hours every day nine o'clock to 11 to this thing, it's really that I am doing something, that's related to much bigger things, uh, because most of things we do during our uh, day they are noise. Mm. Like, okay, uh, do I drink co- coffee from this cup or another looking cup? It it, it doesn't matter. It mm. it doesn't, you know, it's 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 not related to anything larger scale. Mm. Or do I watch this from Netflix or uh, do I walk this route or not? Uh, so when you realize that it's really th- this thing, if I do it every day, it's, it's connected to something maybe even larger than me. And then you should start tweaking your environment and systems and processes that you are able to do it. Uh, so, for example, when I wrote my uh, dissertation, uh, I had this... I really learned to manipulate and make my life in such a way that I get the the writing hours every day. simple things, like I always drank coffee uh, only when I started writing. So there's this positive, I don't drink coffee right when I wake up. Mm. I drink it up two hours after waking up and then when I, it's the moment I start my most effective work. Typically from eight to nine, I do email. I do all of yesterday's email, so I use the Yesterbox tactic. I, don't, I try not to answer any email on the same day. Mm. I always answer them everything on the next morning from 8 to 9. So when it comes 9 o'clock, I can reward myself with coffee, and I drink the pleasurable coffee when I start doing my important work. That uh, uh, goes to the future, so to speak. And uh, I've learned to control my calendar. So there's, there's not... Um, I will get those free hours and so on. For, so for example, I, I use this tactic that... Let's say my colleague invites me to a meeting that happens 22 days from now. And it's Wednesday, it's afternoon, 2 o'clock. And if in my calendar I don't have anything for that... So it's now in the afternoon. So right after I have the meeting booked for afternoon, like we have this for the morning, I immediately make a reservation for the whole morning time for focused non-meeting work. Mm. So the first meeting on the day always decides that are my meetings happening on the afternoon or in the morning. And if it's the first meeting is on the morning, then I do afternoon focused. So my calendar has these two... Mm. So, for example, today, the podcast is this kind of a meeting. Mm -hmm. So, the whole afternoon is reserved for focused work with the exception of uh, one thesis meeting at four o'clock.
1: Yeah, that's, like, that's a really, really, really smart way of seeing, um, like, focus, like, you're systemizing from small things like you're being very like it's ah oh, it's it's like you're being so mindful about like how you drink your coffee when at what mm. situation like you're positively enhancing your you know those um how do you say it? focus muscles mm. yeah. and it's like it's a small thing now but in larger scale you're going to be super focused okay maybe mm-hmm. not superhuman human mm-hmm. focused but, but more focused than you could be and and being mindful about like how it affects like having those meetings and then you know r- putting them in certain rhythm, having a certain rhythm uh, during that day and having that flexibility. So nice. Like, um, And that kind of brought me to this one thing that I already mentioned in the previous episodes. But um, for me, a powerful workflow means that with the use of routine, I'm tapping into my potential as much as possible. And for, for example, I learned from the book, kyvyn elvytysopas, in English, mm. Concentration Recovery Guide by Huotilainen Moisala that in order to function efficiently, you should have a certain rhythm in your daily task. Like, let's say, your mornings, you start with routines, proceed in flow with your challenging and creative task. Yeah. On afternoon, do less challenging task and evening, spend maybe time with your family you care about, and then end the days with routines before bed. And that's kind of very related to the thing that... Um, You do the important things in one bunch instead of you know you do the podcasting then some you know unusual stuff and then Mm. and that kind of would break your rhythm of flow like focus and that's like a really important thing I think
2: that is super super important (laughs) like um, one of it's very simple the more decisions you have to make like uh, you you will run out of brain power energy Mm. that's like uh, so. If you do a weekly plan, that already makes it much easier to make decisions at the day day level. So uh, in my weekly plan, what's fixed, of course, are the meetings. And then I have uh, X number of, ho- hopefully, it's typically 50% of my working hours are those I control myself. And uh, I don't decide exactly that on this day, on this hour, I will do it. But I have a sort of a list for the whole week mm-hmm. And then I navigate, manage during the week how I will then do those. Yeah. But it's uh, some people uh, put uh, like they decide I will do this here and then and now, and it doesn't work because life is too changing. Your energy levels vary. It's better to have a nice balance between adaptability and and control. Mm. Uh, you have to develop. Develop this, But really this, uh, so for the past five years, I've been very much into, you know, tradition and mythology and the old ways of thinking. And, uh, you know, one of the things, uh, uh, images I had that in the old days, uh, life was very boring. There was only like farming and, uh, you know, cultivating uh, some rye and you had to toil. But then, for example, I've started to study, for example, how the old Finns used to live, uh, for example, 150 years ago when uh, the farming was not yet a perfect skill. And what's interesting is that because of the bad weather and everything, you couldn't cultivate only one mm. crops. You had to cultivate many types of crops uh, many types of vegetables. Uh, you had to do hunting, fishing, and uh, you know, big berries. And so, for a long time, our ancestors lived in like they had to earn, uh, like uh, they're living from many sources, and they had to balance. I think much more higher complexity, actually, than we, much much higher. And the way they organized, which is pretty incredible, for them, all of these things happen in periods of weeks. If you think of harvest or uh, what is it, the English word, when you put the seed to the ground?
1: Planting. Planting. uh,
2: Fishing, uh, hunting, picking mushrooms, berries. All of these are actually in the nature happening that... You must get the timing correct or you won't get anything at all or very little. Fishing is a good example. Okay, you can catch, for example, pike throughout the year, but it's really the most effective during the spring when the pike have their, uh, is it spawning? When the pike come from the deeps to mm -hmm. to to make babies. babies. Mm -hmm. And And that's that's when they are close to the shore and then that's when you can hunt them Very easily. And for example, that wisdom is captured in Kalevala, for example. So even though that you probably can do that any time,
0: you're you're looking for and thinking what is the most effective lesson? Yeah, you're looking
2: at 20-80%, the Pareto distribution, when it's the 20% time when I will get the 80%. -hmm. And then you you start to think, okay, how does this apply to my non-traditional way of living? And then you start to see, ah, oh, there are these patterns, so I should focus this effort on this and this effort on that. Mm-hmm. I, I know some podcast professionals can record, for example, 20 episodes during a two-week period, for example.
0: Well, we're, we're actually worth we're thinking about, about something similar, mm. but we're thinking about two or maybe even three episodes uh, just like during the one day, yeah.
2: Yeah, because then you don't have to set up
1: the yeah, microphones. Yeah, that's, that's, and that's Yeah. Mm.
0: Mm. And probably you have to be really, because for some people, maybe for me at some point, yeah, uh, t- talking might be kind of, uh, you get exhausted after a long period of time of talking and thinking, because when we are recording, we're probably actively thinking and trying to, you know.
2: Yeah, you run out of, oh. yeah.
0: But but a smart way, uh, that's actually, uh, yeah, of course. And if you uh, record videos, for example, of course you want to do that like during the one day, like mm. YouTube or something
2: like mm. that. Sure. Yeah, and then then you can start grouping your actions. Mm. Okay, if I do this at the same time, what actually happens, I reduce the complexity. So I don't have to do so many small things on the same day. I focus, and then I get more more results. But this is a scale scale thing. Like uh, the same logic happens at the week level, but also at the day level. So it's not breaking this philosophy if I focus for two hours on my thesis – during the morning after the cafe. So you have these patterns of focus at the day level, at the week level, at the year level,
0: and so on. The thing about why I, I'm kind of not into <clears throat> uh, two of one hour sessions during the morning is like, maybe I'm in wrong that term that also was in, into Scrum book, Well, the term was context switching. Well, because when you switch context, that's you're you're wasting energy. The the example in the book was that if you have, well, it's slightly different. If you have uh, multiple projects going on in your life, Mm. then uh, like to switching the context from one to another, you waste time. The the, the data was like, if you have five projects, you waste 75% of your time, just like it's it's a waste. Not into project A, and project B, it's like nowhere. Mm. And that's why I also thought, uh, all right, so if I have to, because uh, before, when I just started in in the business academy, we had like this... Desire to, all right, we can do this and we can do that. And I was planning my day, like, all right, I can do this project A for one hour. And then I, like, straight after, next after that, I will do two hours of that project. And then I switch to that. And, well, that wasn't working at all because you cannot mm-hmm. just, all right, now I'm switching to that. Yeah. So that's why I'm kind of skeptical. Like, how can you, but well, of course, that maybe depends on your focus. If you can go, into the focus mode, and then you can just all right now have a meeting and switch to the meeting immediately. Then it might work, but I'm just skeptical. that's why I'm skeptical about it.
1: Mm. What if it's if it's like like trained that kind of focus, that kind of switch, and you kind of if you do systematically, like on a weekly basis, that you just you know let's say you have the podcasting in the morning, and then you do the I don't know, let's say the emailing and all this stuff, and you do that repeated. Repeat, repeat, like you repeat that, that kind of thing, then mm-hmm. it's just, and like you said, like when it's like not one day, like whole day dedicated for one thing, it's like r- less risky that it, like I think it's good to have like flexibility mm. that you can allow yourself. Like I, I have this intention that if I have a day that I have like super focus day that I feel that today I'm just going to do insane results and have some great productivity. And if I have the flexibility, let's do that. But mm. I think, yeah, it's, but how, what did you think, Heik?
2: Mm. Very good. The practice thing is, it definitely is a thing here. So I, my brain has learned that I will first do the one hour of email and WhatsApp, uh, I try to put all that. Mm-hmm. So then communication d- hours. <laughs> yes. Um, in this type of organization, the the, the email is really it's. Uh, you have tens and tens of emails, so it takes. But then I have done it all, and it's great feeling. Around nine o'clock, uh, I can, you know, walk around if I'm doing remote work. I can maybe load the dishwasher start making the coffee uh, and th- then it's a few minutes I can leave the email thing aside and I'm ready for focus. But uh, it helps that if you have that during this week my focus hours will get to a similar thing. So it's not smart to have that during one week your focus hours are spent on different many things. It's better mm-hmm. to have what I, I use, that old tradition, I try to have week periods. Yeah. And because I what I've been doing, I've been doing already quite a long time. The, I mean, my work at Karelia. So I really have, I have this Excel where uh, for every week of the year, uh, uh, I I know roughly what I will do on that week. Uh, because uh, if I don't do it during that week, uh it will mean trouble, a lot mm-hmm. of trouble. Uh, other processes will will get ruined. Of course, it's not the only thing I do during that week, but this this big picture of one year, because uh, I know how the yearly processes work. I know it's a good thing to do this here, and then I did try to do that thing first in the uh, during that week on Monday or Tuesday, and the. End of the week is more flexible. Mm-hmm.
1: That's kind of like the learnings you have taken from traditional old natural thinking. Like um, you are more accepting to that things don't have to happen in fact, like in short period of time. You can see the bigger picture yeah. and you know the importance of timing. You, you see where is the best. Uh, most spacious place to do that sort of action than, let's say, putting, like, I I don't know, if you have to do, uh, let's say, review theses and, like, student theses, it's quite hard work, and it's, I don't know, based on that sort of period of year. So, it's not a good idea to start having, like, big project planning or things before that, like, for example.
2: Yeah, or especially what is, like, uh, (laughs) students, like, because we are humans, all theses are left to the last moment. So at the end of the spring or at the end of the fall, there's always everybody wants to graduate at the same time, and it's only natural. So your focus is put a lot of that. You should not plan to write publications or things like that during that time. Mm-hmm. So the publications, the, most of my publications are written uh, in January, February, or uh, late August, early September, Because then there is room for that. (laughs) By the way, this week, so normally people who think of themselves as creative and often really are, sometimes struggle that, okay, if I am this like systematic and focused, I will lose the creativity. But what I have really discovered that when you... (laughs) The purpose, actually, to manage time is to make the most out of your creativity. That's really the mm-hmm. the thing y- you want to do it like that. So,
0: my favorite quote is one of my favorite quotes is. Uh, uh, now I forgot my favorite quote. No, wait a second. I, I just yeah. No, I just that's a good to... quote. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, well I, I, I get another point, but I'm just i just remember the quote. So the, the, the creativity happens during the process. It's not like, now I got inspired, now I got the creativity, and then I just do some work. But it, uh, that, that's one, one of the thoughts. Oh, yeah, now I remember the quote. So the quote is, uh, inspiration is for amateurs. We professionals just go to work, something like this. Mm-hmm. So meaning that your creativity can be seen as your part of your work, and in that case, you kind of, I'm not sure if you're trained for that, but then you're not... That kind of, oh, I have to be creative. That's why I don't want, I want to, yeah. the flow goes and then as it goes, as it goes. No, you're just kind of control, control
2: that. Yeah it, yeah, it really means that, for example, the detail, that you plan to time your coffee because you you know the work you are doing is important, it's mm-hmm. creative and thing. So when you go to work, you are, have organized really that you are living the creative life. And it's it's not like there is the planned work, mm. blah, blah, blah. And and then you need to have the inspiration, but you have really made it so that.
1: You mentioned about like how you don't think that kind of having a system or being, uh, like, kind of controlling your creativity is not a bad thing, and it doesn't uh, like kill it. Um, What I think when people think that controlling too much or having systems, why it kills creativity is that if you have too tight schedule, if you have too much, like, you have no time, you're, like, busy constantly, I, I think that would be one of the reasons why it could cr- kill creativity because when you are, you have no time for, you know, relax like let your mm-hmm. thoughts be free and when you stress then all the hormones you, there's no room for creativity because you're this constantly oh shit oh shit mm-hmm. what's going to happen next and all the thing and that could kill the creativity. but if you're able to do smart system that actually doesn't Take the creativity, but more like allows it to yeah, bloom. Yeah. That could help. Yeah, so. that's
2: exactly the, the point of a system. Then you know that you have a sh- shitty time management system. Mm. That <laughs> if you are feeling rushed, yeah. That the whole point is that uh, you are feeling present at what you are doing, you are feeling creative and you have energy. And, uh, and so we have not yet talked about eating and. Uh, Meal planning and sleeping and and all this, all these things, c- come to play. Uh, thing in this equation.
0: Mm. How can you sh-
2: shortly say like, How how much do you care about those? Very much. So sure. my experience has been that the most important time management is the first thing. When and where are you going to do those actions that actually give you the resources to continue doing what you are doing? Uh, in a family life, you have to really pay attention. What are you going to eat during evening, uh, on Tuesday, on Wednesday? You don't want this to happen, that you come work, there's nothing in the fridge, you need to fast, go and shop something, make food. Uh, Nobody has energy. Mm. I'm a fan, this kind of a fan, that uh, on Sunday afternoons, we typically, with my wife, we cook something that lasts until Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And that helps us to uh, have better quality food. Uh, it really saves time a lot because the food is really ready. ready. Um, it saves money. You don't have to spend time in supermarkets, uh, things like that. But, yeah, if you think it, this is a very philosophical thing, but... Any kind of thing, process that lasts time, it must secure its resources that it needs to operate. That's the first thing. A business needs to uh, bring revenue to cover costs. Uh, human, an animal needs to uh, get uh, it needs to eat in order to power the muscles and to capture more food. This applies to to everyday life. So. You should be very thinking a lot about when, how are you going to secure your eating, your sleeping. Uh, in your in every work, there's a part where you have to uh, fix your tools or uh, prepare and maintain. So the Maintenance is the key word. You really have to maintain stuff. One challenge I face
0: super, like, not every day, but really many mm. times during the week, is like, all right, I want to eat like normally. Mm. And then, like, it was yesterday, for example. Mm. I, uh, well, now I don't have any routines. <laughs> After my criticized mode, I like mm. got up, uh, I go to sleep like at like 3, 4 uh, a.m. and then I just get up at 8. Uh, uh, well, there is no, no routine. But uh, yesterday, I was like, all right, I want to be uh, at a Science Park in the morning, then I wake up at like 11, let's say. So it was already late. I planned my day, but I was late. Then I was like, all right, but I have to eat something because I cannot just go there. So uh, my first idea, like yesterday, before the day, I was like, all right, I I want to cook for the whole day. But then I was in a rush and I was like, I I don't have time to cook. So I have to go there and just eat something. Mm -hmm. So I just ate noodles. So the challenge was like, all right, I'm kind of in a rush. Should I then, like, still put some time to get some quality food, to cook, or should I just grab something and go there? Mm. And I had this challenge. Like, today, to tomorrow, uh, today morning, I also have that challenge because I again w- wake up uh, not in time yeah. and then I have to eat like just before the podcast mm. and some some hours. So that was this, the challenge I'm struggling with.
2: Yeah, yeah, the, mm. I I feel feel your pain. I've also been there, but. I have to say that uh, as a 20-year-old, I remember having this feeling that, ah, uh, fixed. If I go to bed, because now m- many evenings, I go to bed before 10, 10 o'clock. That sounds crazy. <laughs> but uh, it felt that, ah, uh, that is the really the definition of boredom. Like, <laughs> oh, like, w- w- what is like like that? But. Then when I have this system, first of all, it's the only way I can really operate. Yeah. And then the other aspect of that, that, that that allows me to really be creative, effective on the important things. Because, you know, oh, there is this great Netflix series or oh, there is this great work I must do. Almost no great work is so great. Every now and then... Rarely you have this that you really have to work the 14 hours a day. Mm. But that's really rare. Uh, It's better to have your full full energy capability doing the important work the best you can. Um, I don't eat breakfast normally. So uh, when I wake up, I drink green tea. Then uh, that's typically 7 o'clock. Then uh, there's the one hour... (laughs) So the morning routine, mm-hmm. I, I wake up at seven. My wife has waken up sometimes much earlier because she's a middle school teacher and she likes, she, a few years ago, she switched from doing uh, class preparation and those things from the evening to the morning. So she sometimes wakes up at five o'clock, for example, to do that. Anyways, our kids wake up at seven. <laughs> so how I spend, when I wake up, I, I put the tea, then... Uh, what I do typically is laundry in the, in the morning, but I can converse and interact with the whole family at the same time. Uh, now I'm in good position that I can work from, from home. So then at eight o'clock I start doing email and I typically finish it before nine. Uh, then I make the coffee, then I start doing the focused work. If there's morning readings, it's so annoying because <laughs> then I use the. Just kidding. Uh, best energy energy for that. Mm. But yeah, that 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 really really helps, and th- th- that's one of the things. So the Sunday cooking, it's not just cooking for the the week. Mm. That is very very important, but it's also time uh, to you know, interact, converse with wife, kids, do some other cleaning. So there are these layers of meaning you can add to to a habit more and more and more. Mm. And you can make the Sunday afternoon cooking, for example, nicer by drinking red wine Mm. at the same time and whatever. So if you know your conscious brain, you know that it would be so cool to cook great food during Sunday and eat it for the beginning of the week. Why not make it really pleasurable mm. then, that cooking task?
0: That's nice. Uh, that's one of, one of other uh, re- cooking-related mental barriers I have to overcome every time I cook is that, like well, because I don't like cooking, mm. but I, I, I have to eat something. <laughs> So, uh, every time I cook, I'm like, do I really have to do that? Like, how can I avoid cooking but still eat something? Yeah. So, because, uh, yeah, every time I'm like, how can I do other things but but not cooking? I want to do this thing, but I have to cook. But then just that's – but I think my mistake here is that I – or I have to somehow overcome that short-term thinking because, anyway, yeah, that yeah. Sunday cooking is like is long-term. Like during the whole week, you you reserve time for much more greater stuff. If you don't like cooking, for example, yeah. but then you have to overcome that mental barrier. Like I, I can cook now, even though I don't like it. But then yeah. during the week,
2: I'll have more time for more like creative or things mm. I like. Yeah, you could easily, for example, how much we cooked uh, yesterday. You could easily eat that for whole week. Mm. The amount, and it's not. It took, um, like, the the effective time of really doing some cooking activities with hand was maybe 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. But there were periods of waiting. I was watching Kataya baskets, mm-hmm. basketball game at the same time. Yeah. yeah, practice.
1: Yeah. How I see, like, your, like, this Sunday cooking, mm. like, like doing a lot of, it. it's like a kind of part of system that allows you to secure you to be as efficient as possible. Mm. Then you don't have to worry about it as much as possible. And I think that would be a, like a valuable way of weaving The task or thing that you're trying to do, like add a meaningful layer in your thing, like task that you're doing. Even though cooking is not so cool, but imagine if you're able to secure, like, you know, your food, your feeling problems, (laughs) food problems, however you want to receive food. But if you're able to tackle that, then... Mm -hmm. You have all the resources just to focus on you know, uh, entrepreneur things and yeah. so on. And that kind of stresses you less.
2: Really think about it. Like recipes are finding a great recipe uh, that it's affordable. It's great tasting. So even so that your kids like it, you like it. It's simple to cook. You, you can make the food a lot at the same time. The ingredients can be so that it's healthy. Finding, and (laughs) in ideal case, it's also somehow related to that the ingredients come from nearby. So Mm -hmm. there's this kind of local produce and blah, blah, blah. Finding those, those recipes are very rare. And really, if you find one that can really affect your life for the next 70 years. Think, Mm -hmm. if you make that recipe once a week or once a month for decades and decades. It's so, Im- <laughs> like, few things come more important than recipes. Yeah. Mm. It's crazy. Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. it's so, like, you said, like, if you have a good recipe, like, I can always yeah. see, like, I could, like, relate this, like, yeah. a good system, like, it's affordable, healthy, like, um, like, if you are able to find, you know, let's say you found a great timing for the cooking stuff and mm. you make sure that you get food. But also, like, when you don't do it in rush, you're able to nutrition yourself yeah. healthy good mm. stuff so instead of if you do it in rush you will fuck it up because you will eat shit <laughs> and you <laughs> and
2: typically start cooking when you are already hungry and tired yeah, and, and it's, it, and it's, it's horrible
1: like, like messing yeah. around I've done it so many times yeah. I eat so many noodles when I don't yeah. <laughs> when am doing it rush but like you said like If you have a great recipe that is affordable, it gives you great results, like in terms of like healthy, and it's really nice, and you can do it easily, like without effort. Like that's amazing. I do it actually. Mm. That I have in Notion. So Notion is like a note management Mm. tool that I use. But most importantly, uh, all the recipes that I love that are healthy. I have a database of all my favorite <laughs> recipes. Oh, that's good. And yeah. basically, if I feel that I'm hungry and don't know what I do, don't ask me why, but I can enter enter the the uh, ingredients that I have mm. that I want to food, and I can find the exact recipes that include these things. So, mm. and when I have these recipes, I always adjust them. So every time when mm. I cook, I have this cooking system of recipes. It's so easy. It's so affordable, and it's healthy. and I think that's kind of a great system, but it takes time to build a system like this. Mm.
2: Yeah, the the discovery process, yeah, takes time. And um, I want to emphasize even more how like the recipe is important. First of all, one aspect is that, okay, again, uh, I like cooking, I I try to, uh, some people think that if you cook, you have to always be like some uh, Gordon Ramsay, you always cook differently and like that. But if you really think some great restaurant that's been running for decades uh, that started, for example, from as a street food thing, they have this family secret great recipe and people come and eat that same thing day after day for years and decades. And it's great and it works and they do business. So if you can find those, if you find five great recipes in your life, it will change your life, definitely. Mm-hmm. Deeper aspect is that if uh, those recipes include ingredients that you can, for example, fish, hunt, uh, uh, you know, big berries, grow yourself, that recipe becomes like a crossroads for uh, you suddenly, you have the opportunity to actually grow something that you you use. Mm. Typically, people who get into gardening, the problem is that they plant things and then they, at the fall, they, okay, I cannot use, but I've grown. But when you start from the recipe and you go backwards, okay, what should I plan that I need in, the, in this recipe? Yeah. And then suddenly the whole life changes. So recipes are, <laughs> they are like, yeah. wow.
1: If you're able to use them and like efficiently and constantly it's like interest. Yeah. Largest scale, it's going to like. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I was definitely
0: things. underestimating the the importance of recipes. It
2: Another example. Uh, um, yesterday I made this. It sounds very boring, but this kind of casserole, casserole food. It's a uh, b- big, b- bulky amount of, of that, mm-hmm. and um, uh, for years I used to use this kind of a. Uh, it, this kind of broth cube yeah. that you put and then it has brings the broth. year ago, I switched to, um, it's in Peri, the Sausi Oy. They make this restaurant quality, uh, this broth uh, one liter packages from local produce, and I switched to that, All right. that product. So now again, if I do that recipe twice a month, uh, decades if i'm fortunate enough that leader of the broth increases the quality of the of course the food the mm-hmm. much better quality mm-hmm. but it also has an effect on the local economy thing because you know how much money i will be spending throughout the, the weeks and months and years yeah. to this company so there the, 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 you see like what you have in that recipe also affect many other things.
1: Yeah, seeing in larger scale, not from only for your yeah. own point of view, but yeah. how it affects yeah. maybe your surroundings or other people's lives. Yeah, actually. More yeah. meaningful layers. Yeah, and,
2: uh, and now, now, okay, in the recipe actually, if we, now I'm thinking, we can see these scales. So there is the scale of when we actually eat the food and is it good and are the children complaining and are they happy to eat and like that. Then there's the Weekly question of am I rushed and hurried and uh, is the food ready? So the solution for that is that I do it once a uh, Sunday, and that was connected to also to spending time with the mm. other family and making it maybe drink the red glass of red wine. And then there are these effects of the quality of ingredients; it affects my health, and then the local economy, and then there's the effect of hmm, maybe it's linked to my gardening, <laughs> and, and so on, so.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's, that's kind of a system with, with yeah.
2: developments. Yeah, now you'll never see cooking <laughs> the same again. <laughs>
0: yeah. Next thing I want, I want to bring is, is a thing called Draft Program. Mm. Can you Heik, maybe tell us more about that and then maybe I can also share my experience about that. Mm. What is it?
2: Uh, the Draft Program is an entrepreneurship program managed by Car University of Applied Sciences and uh, it's co-funded co- by uh, University of eastern Finland and the Rivera College and also the Ocorbi Foundation the purpose is to help uh, not necessarily young but new entrepreneurs to to launch a successful business and these entrepreneurs need to have in their team at be, at least one person from these these schools or universities uh, we provide some microfunding and then some coaching.
0: Yeah, all right. Mm. Uh, well, I have participated in Draft uh, several times, mm. and it was really fruitful. Uh, the money, of course, is good, but then also the coaching you provided mm. was really mm. interesting, like how, how how I managed to transform my thinking. It was re- really really good thing that I th- re- didn't realize then. For example, one thing that really comes to my mind is uh, when I'm trying to you um, uh, were saying to me that you have to test, when I was having that VR game idea mm-hmm. and uh, you were saying that you have to, or it's better to have this um, pre, pre-order, pre so pre, kind of, before building the yeah, game.
2: Yeah, yeah, test the, uh, is there a need yeah. for it, yeah. So,
0: yeah, that was really, really kind of shifted my, kind of, um, how I perceive the business ideas right now, so you don't mm-hmm. have to build uh but if we can maybe summarize your experiences in in that draft program as best probably you've seen many teams mm. that uh, failed their pitches or, or that succeeded in the program and then maybe grown their businesses mm. what think uh what, what are you think that the the most kind of common mistakes or the most common patterns of of successful projects do you know how you notice any
2: well uh Perhaps the best predictor of success is that if that person has a bit longer history or background in the topic yeah. of the product or service. <clears throat> Ideally there is both experience in the whatever the product or service is and the customer's need side. Yeah. Ideally those are in the same brain. So if you've experienced that need for yourself, you've used different solutions and then you also can do the solution, that's the perfect. Um, that's why those t- types of themes where the entrepreneurs have done actually the thing as a paid uh, employee or as a hobby, typically can succeed better. Uh, themes that are, that the idea is more far-fetched from what they have done o- also those have less chances. Mm. And it's just our experience, but it's also what research shows. Mm. So there is an entrepreneur's principle called the bird in hand principle, which means that instead of thinking a big idea and then thinking how can we get all the skills and resources we need to make this big idea, you can think of all the skills and resources you have now and your friends, the the bird in hand, and then build ideas that are based on these. Mm -hmm. And the big difference is that you have all the resources and skills. You just have to use them in a novel, creative way. And uh, there's research showing that the world's best entrepreneurs work like that. Mm -hmm. They only use things that they have. So, yeah, so it increases the likelihood of success very much. Yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah, that kind of, it's like basically if you have the skill to make use of what you got, then basically anything that gets thrown at you and you still can make it into a diamond Mm. is a very amazing skill. Like was it a human being like in a way like if you're able to tap into a person's potential, release the potential in the person or in the environment or in the skills that you have, it's more efficient than, like you said, finding the resources that you don't have. So mm. then you would be spending your time and finding the building blocks instead of using the building yeah. blocks that you yeah.
2: have. And there's the also the second l- level, because you don't have the skills and, and resources, then likely your idea is wrong because you have not been probably able to really understand how those resources or skills you don't have are actually connected. Mm -hmm. So in these kinds of uh, um, business idea competitions, it's actually actually a good rule of thumb that if the person knows what he or she is talking about, uh, that has the experience, then the idea is good. Like, it, you can have the, exactly the same written description of the idea, exactly the same, but depending on who is saying that, it has totally different meaning. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I could see that. It's like, basically, if you're a young person who has this very big idea on, let's say, an uh a business idea and you see exactly how you could build this business idea, what tools you could use mm-hmm. for it. But versus a person who has done let's say 10 businesses, they will be able to spot straight away like what is going to like fail in that idea and what is probably the, actually the most important resource in that thing. Yeah. So this is what I think you probably meant.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, as a, when you start then you need to use tools like business model canvas and business plans because all that is not yet automated. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have to think the bigger picture with the help of those tools. But then these really super entrepreneurs who are so experienced, that stuff is mostly automated. So they don't even consciously think about that. Whatever idea comes to their mind that they feel that this might be good their brain has already unconsciously done all that for them. Mm. So they are in a position that they can trust their idea and intuition. But a very young uh, entrepreneur who is... uh, They don't know yet that they don't know. And uh, that's the the tricky thing. Mm -hmm. Good thing for that is always also to encourage very young entrepreneurs to try it out. (laughs) Because then the (laughs) You will get punched, and uh, then you become really more mindful about ah, oh, maybe this idea was not perfect. And <laughs>
0: uh, what? Uh, so I have two two bigger questions about mm. the draft. Uh, the first one is um, so I think most of the draft people that they got in draft or pitched draft are yeah. students, probably uh,
2: not anymore. So right. yeah, yeah. Um, at least out of those who are selected, well, s- some are in a way students, but they are per- persons who have uh, already have professional history, for example, and All they right. are doing a second degree or uh, mm. mm-hmm. or, or the. Yeah.
0: Did, did you mean like it was it was accidentally that way, or are you like aiming for those people because they have they are more experienced?
2: Uh, it's both. All right. So uh, yeah, also aiming more and more for that. Yeah. Okay.
0: Uh, I was I was about to ask like what are what do you think young kind of guys students what are their main challenges that they face when they got in the program or
2: when they trying to do their projects. Mm. Well, it's a di- wholly different. I- if it's something that uh, the person has been uh, passionate for a long time doing it as a hobby, or then it's a di- totally different situation because then that person is like an older person regarding that Mm. topic. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm, There might be time management issues, might be one, balancing. Like you guys know and your uh, fellow students, when you have many projects, uh, you have the danger of burning out or uh, not doing anything very well Mm -hmm. or uh, that's... uh, that's a thing. Mm. <laughs> and there is this funny, the less you know about something, the less humble you also are. Mm-hmm. So, Being humble is, is mm-hmm. very important. It's That's also related to the mindfulness we've been through, everything, so humbleness is like this. Then you are maximally open to learning and being skeptical about what you do. And, uh, Interesting. Um. And,
0: and one one more thing was like, what kind of advices would you give? Because I think in the May is next uh, draft batch. Yeah. Or yeah. What are the guys that are listening to this for or that somehow uh, managed to get here uh, and are going to apply uh, for draft? What mm. kind of advices or things would you say to them so sort of, to increase their chances of success?
2: Yeah, I would. Um, if there's a feeling that should I apply or not, uh, is the thing you are uh, proposing to the to the jury? Is it something that's uh, you have uh, a bit background in? So look at your hobbies, your background, and build something from those. Mm. Sometimes it's it, it was a summer job you did, uh, and so on. Oftentimes, the great things are where you combine two different things that are, then that th- comes to cr- creative combination. Yeah. Yeah. Like Andre, for example, you, you've been in developing these kinds of applications and stuff. A typical application idea is actually a people who don't have any experience in programming or doing graphics or anything, and they have a great application idea. And then, okay, we need 50,000 to do the application. It's not going to work, nothing's going to happen. So you need to have both the what's the purpose and topic of the application plus the application capability in the Mm. same team. Mm.
0: Uh, The the very first idea we were presented to Draft was actually the application. And then we actually did uh, just like that. We Mm -hmm. haven't haven't had any idea. Mm. We gathered together and we were like, all right, I, I, I think we should apply, like, what kind of ideas can kind of we come up with? Mm. Or just, uh, maybe at some point we uh, kind of utilize the things that we knew, mm. but then basically we just, uh, uh, if you remember, the, the I for, like, restaurants and stuff like that, so yeah. we didn't have any experience in, in that field, yeah. so we was like, came up with something. Yeah. But, yeah, that was probably not, not the right. <laughs> yeah,
2: point. Yeah. And, and the good way to look for ideas in your life that if there's been an aspect of your life That you have been tweaking solutions Mm. and you've been improving and those are things that can can become a product or service Mm. for others also. Yeah. For example, in my my company, uh, we are going to publish a book and uh, that's about uh, an approach or method to running and being outdoors. Uh, It was developed uh, because I struggled... With how to motivate myself to go and jog and run and uh, then the first answer was, okay, every time I go to run, I run to a new location. i I when I get to the new location, I search for something that might be valuable in any way, ideas, then i I, I run back. and then I accumulate these findings and I start integrating them to my life. and it becomes like a, like a motivation cycle, I become more and more motivated to run and explore and like that. And that became a method. And now we are publishing that that method and uh, philosophy as a book.
1: Cool. Wait a minute. <laughs> I think I just made some kind of very similar, um, like founding, like uh, in my own life, like. Mm. Or weeks ago, I was literally telling this to Andre. Andre will be nodding probably to this. But um, I have also tried to find ways to hack myself yeah, <laughs> yeah. on running or going for a walk or whatever ever. But um, there is one thing. So I have been doing that thing that you know you train for a half marathon uh, and then you just do it. Yeah, uh, that's you kind, you kind of, of, of the co- goal, yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. but then um, what how to make have this kind of recipe for enjoyable walks that you want to do consistently and mm. so on and what I found out that how I could hack myself was that when I when I go for a walk I had few meaningful layers on my uh, ways to kind of motivate me to go mm. for it there and is it was like I would go and listen to my favorite uh Book, yeah. As an audiobook. Yeah, audiobook. yeah. And also, and it wasn't just only that, but um, uh, from a childhood, I was very interested in shiny things as pantipullot, uh, if you'd say. So, cans yeah. and those things that you get money from yeah, when you yeah. pick. So, I could literally, like, I got two values from my walks. Um, mm. I would uh, get knowledge that is kind of like abstract mm. um, value, but it's really valuable. And I enjoyed the stories in the book, but also getting those very concrete ideas and boom, 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 uh, mm. thinking about those. But also if I didn't learn anything, at least I got 15 cents yeah. from my yeah. <laughs> walk. So it yeah. was kind of like I got, like I I also use this kind of positive reinforcement in order to kind of do that. And that kind of led me to having like, this was... Um, I got this idea from when I did the (laughs) David Goggins challenge with Andre. So you have to like for two whole days and nights to just go walks or runs and how to keep going and have fun with still Mm -hmm. add fun with it because I was listening to my favorite book. So yeah, um, having your own ways of hacking yourself to do those things and make it into kind of a system like have like it's. If you find a carrot that works for you, use it because that's going yeah, to. be Yeah, that very can efficient.
2: become a product or service, and uh, mm. if if you work on enough, and it becomes something special.
1: And then yeah. you do that for a larger scale. Yeah, what, what could happen? Yeah,
2: yeah, that that's the way it works. Yeah.
1: Hmm.
2: Mm. Or the uh, the re- cooking, like the my vision of one recipe cookbook. That's like uh, right. comes from the sa- similar standpoint. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the, the, the tackle. There's, I think um, the guy that I really find like many, many things that we are thinking the same way is Phil Libin. That's the the, the founder of Evernote. Okay. Evernote was mm-hmm. found by them. And now they have this mm hmm app. Mm mm-hmm. is actually the name of the app. And he's uh, kind of that philosophy. But I've seen many, many people uh, that do uh, some entrepreneurial stuff also. That, uh, it was like. You have your own pain, and you struggle with that pain. And after some time, you've developed kind of your own solutions, and then you think, all right, that's actually working, and I can use that as a product. Yep. That's really, really really nice strategy. And I think Evernote was one of kind of those products, and other products that they do in, in the company, they also use that strategy.
2: Yeah, yeah, th- th- those are really the best ideas. So, mm. Okay, you might feel that... Mm, Well, I have not really tried to develop anything like, okay, I don't have... Maybe the reason is that you have not tried to do something extreme because when you do something a bit rarer, then typically the everyday solutions don't work. Mm. So that's what I encourage in general uh, as a student. uh, Try to do crazy things that they don't have to be related to euros or, or business ideas, but try to do... Have have projects that are are difficult, whether it's a school project or whatever. Those push you to the unknown areas.
1: Mm. Okay, maybe before we are like uh, wrapping this up, uh, my curiosity <laughs> towards how you see things uh, is. insane sometimes and I would like to get get, get, have a peek from your own eyes like like what it is like to as a person who is like you know uh, striving to have that certain type of balance in life you try to have those meaningful layers you try to be effective and you have systems that allows you to go towards these powerful workflows Um, have you found and how does it feel when you find the best solution that just falls into place in terms of exactly all of this thing? How it feels? Yeah, and have you found one?
2: Mm. Well, you always find uh, things that are improvement to the situation until that point. And of course, then new points will come. And uh, so there is definitely never a perfect thing. For example, uh, tomorrow I will be giving, uh, I will be holding a workshop or a lecture on the topic of myth mining. How to mine ideas from mythology and, and tradition, like how mm-hmm. to. And uh, I've been tru- struggling with the kind of the the perspective on to g- give that I've been working on the slide sets and everything. Actually, this morning I I got the. Key insight on how to do a little tweak, and uh, it, it will be it will be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, if you put the work, and then you have an idea, uh, then you might have that realization. Ah oh, yes, this this now fits F- fits the thing that you've been struggling with. So typically, there is this sense of uh, it's not yet perfect. I could kind of do it, but there is some intuition that something is missing, mm-hmm. and then that what is missing is at least partly found. That is perhaps what I would call it, like finding finding something. Yeah, the Sunday cooking f- was something like that, uh, uh, matching. The core work with the cup of coffee was like that. Uh, choosing to do yesterday's email in the morning, one hour—that—that that was so, so. There was also always some question or struggle, and then ching, it comes, or not. <laughs> cool,
0: um, awesome conversation, and let's finish that conversation with three short questions I have for you. Okay. Uh, all right, so the first one is what advice would you give to a student that just got into the university and want to get the most out of uh, his
2: or her studies? Depends so much on the, on the student. Uh, uh, very brief story. So um, one of my uh, martial arts students long ago, uh, she went uh, to study the theater and uh, then I, I met her during summer and I asked, okay, it must you are like in, in this actor business and uh, it must be great to Use evenings with other actors. But she said, yeah, but every now and then you have to stay home and really write your own play, saying that uh, as a student, also take the thing you are studying seriously. R- if you're studying media, try to be to be so good media person as possible as you can, can. Also, you can have the student life and funny, but try to treat the courses as a professional and not from the perspective of, I came from high school and teachers, blah, blah, blah. Try to be really professional. That would be helpful. I have
0: to add, because, uh, uh, yeah, all right. There, there was no there, there are no short questions. Uh, so, my, my, when I was writing, writing one blog post for our business academy, and yeah. I tried to put my um, thinking in my yeah uh, uh, my my ideas about studying into into one blog post, mm. um, I realized that I think that students should treat or student well having a graduation as your main goal. I, I got into university. My goal was to graduate from university. Yeah. It's extremely like I don't know, it's bad thing. Mm. Uh, rather, you should or at least i believe that you should treat your the whole studying process as research so you think all right what things are interesting to me and what what, what i want to be like super excellent at yeah. and then you re- do like kind of research you tr- then if you have this research uh uh thinking then you treat all the courses all the assignments you have as part of that research You have to do some uh, like essay mm-hmm. you think you try to choose the topics or the ways you write them like according to your research and that's how you get better mm-hmm. and that's how you uh, maintain your motivation and interest, 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 yeah. interest in, that, in that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Of course, not all courses are, like, perfect. And it's okay in some courses to do the enough yeah. to, to get it. But definitely there are things where you should really, like, if you feel your fellow students are not motivated, but you really can be the professional and you can lift up everybody around you also.
0: Yeah, all right. Let's, let's move to the end. second question, which is, what is the most exciting business idea you've seen in the last three years?
2: Which I'm, I'm allowed to talk yeah. about. Are you? Maybe from the draft?
0: It, it can be anything, but exciting or interesting, or maybe somehow
2: like, oh, that's... Well, of course, my own business ideas, <laughs> for me personally. If, if, if we don't count your business ideas. Others. Well, I I like, for example, well, everybody knows like what, what Elon Musk, for example, is doing, like the space SpaceX mm. stuff. Uh, they are developing rockets. Like a uh, startup is developing software, and mm. uh, there is higher important purpose and. Uh, uh, th- the, the, that whole thing and story is is quite exciting All right. to me. All right.
0: And the last question for today is, there is a thing called work-life balance. We talked about that also today. Uh, if you would have to choose one of those, work or life, what would you choose?
2: Neither, <laughs> because the, our ancestors, they were much smarter than us. Somehow we have separated the life and the work, they had these two integrated in a way. All their celebrations were connected to important work. So when we finish harvest, there's the big celebration. When we do the important fishing, there's a big celebration. When we start the important harvest, we drink. Uh, There are musicians playing, Mm. motivating us to more work. So ideally, it's somehow nicely integrated.
0: I strongly believe that's, uh, <laughs> that's how it should, should work. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Uh, awesome. Thank you, Heike, very much for being part of our podcast today. I think it was awesome conversation, really nice hacks, really nice uh, layers of like, philosophical layers of how we approach things. Mm. Awesome. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Hey folks, our guest today was Heike Imman. Find Heike's LinkedIn link in the description. If you happen to have an idea that you would want to turn into a product, check out the Draft program. They offer microfunding and coaching. Link in the description. Also, don't forget to follow fly for It on LinkedIn to be notified about new episodes and connect with us and the people we talk with. Thanks for listening to this episode of the FlyForIt podcast. And hey, whatever you are going to do, fly for it.